and welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Saren Kaster. I'm in the studio. Uh, as par mostly usual, Stefan Hostetter. How are you doing? And um, what we're going to be talking about today, well, there's, uh, as usual, we have a range of news and commentary. We're, we're, we don't have any guests today, so there'll be a lot of chatting. Uh, but of course, uh, as seems to be the norm for the last six months, we come on the backs of very heavy news and very impactful things that make it difficult not to permeate into our show uh, in some manner. And so I just really wanted to start, even though we're not talking about it today explicitly, uh, I wanted to do two things really before we got started here. One was just to acknowledge and uh, and offer support, condolences, and our shared grief for the victims that uh, uh, have been impacted in Charlottesville um, over this rest, uh, over this past week. Uh, not to mention all the horrifying things we've been reading since then. Um, and secondly, part of the reason why I mean, a I, 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 when something like that happens, I feel regardless of what topic it's on, I have to say something. So there's that. There's also, and this is where I'll pass it to Stefan. But we're we're really going to be going back and forth a lot today, I think, because essentially Stefan picked most of the news, and I just have a lot to say about what he picked. Uh, but what I wanted to sort of highlight, and the reason we made that, or I chose to make that statement right at the beginning of the show, uh, was that I think that we have to understand as we're reading through the news today, and I will be assisting you doing this because I will be uh, Stefan and I will be pointing this out as we move through this. Um, that we really shouldn't all be that surprised because racism is everywhere all the time. And we're going to talk about some news stories this week um, and do even more than I think we normally would to go out of our way to point out how completely racist all of this stuff is. Uh, so there you go. Uh, <laughs> so, Stefan, uh, you're going to mostly lead us off, but I have a lot of comments. I might be interrupting you frequently. With that caveat, take it away. Thank you very much. So, yeah, to jump off that, there's... <laughs> what I what I think I would like to do in that I feel like every once in a while we do this a fair number of the show, but every once in a while I think it's important and useful to sort of go back and really slowly try to outline uh, just how much uh, these types of uh, or how, just how much uh, racism and white supremacy impact uh, everything, including the environmental movement, uh, and specifically how outdated the sort of thought process that you know. Just blindly conserving space is enough to save the world uh, or, or, to, or to not cause problems. Or the concept that, you know, we actually have the ability to, to be strong environmentalists without addressing this obvious social, social ills within our, within, our, uh, within our communities. And, and especially, specifically with, with, within, t- within today, I really wanted to highlight just how much, even from a, you know, like, even if... And I don't know, even if for some reason you've decided that you do not care about racism, in which case I condemn you. Uh, but if that is the case... If uh, you're not, well, if you're not a Nazi, you can believe that you're fooling yourself. I would right. just say you're yeah. a Nazi. Um, <laughs> if for some, uh, you know, um, then, then that's a, then okay. Uh, but it has such a direct impact and such, racism has such a direct impact on the earth itself uh, that... Uh, and our on our ability to get action on different climate issues and and environmental issues generally, um, that it's that it, they're intertwined. Like, you know, environmental justice is not a not a new term, uh, but it has it's still it's still an evolving field. Uh, and I think every once in a while, it's useful to sort of go over, you know, an example of how it sort of permeates society. Um, and so for this, uh, so, so to open up, uh, it, we're actually going to go back uh, a little bit of ways. Uh, back to the uh, the 
I'm going to sort of compare and contrast three uh, three things. Uh, the first is uh, when a bunch of armed militia uh, take over a uh, take over a government building. Uh, the second is when a bunch of unarmed individuals uh, stand in the way of a pipeline. And the third is when a bunch of armed militia decide to descend on a, uh, a city uh, and terrorize its residents. Uh, and the reactions and, and, and powers that are at play in all of these scenarios is perhaps what is, 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 what, is, what is most disconcerting. Um, because you know, there's, so the begin, there's, the, there's the Clive and Bundy uh, ranch standoff in 2014 um, in which armed... Uh, armed militia took over uh, a uh, you know a, a generally empty. It was it was it, the, the, what they took over was largely just a an example of a government building. They wanted to take over a government building. No one was there, uh, but still they they took over an armed uh, they took over an armed a, they took over a building with weapons. It was a like I. I don't know how else to say this beyond that they basically just, you know, a private military force invaded the United States' property. Uh, and all over the fact that he wanted to let his cattle eat, mo- eat without being paying for, basically. That was, the, you know, it was, a, it was over a cattle rancher. Yeah, um, but Stefan, a bunch of Black Lives Matter protesters stopped a parade once for half an hour. So I'm really, I don't see the difference here. Yeah, see, um, exactly. Like, you know, there's a, and so, so, so that's one, and, and what happened was they they you know they were they were eventually removed. Some of them were arrested. A few got jail time. A few were just let were let off uh, because the jury decided not to convict them. Um, and so, and so that's what happens one time. Uh, and then, as you can see, uh, what saw last weekend uh, was there was this interesting moment in which it beca- one of the reasons the police decided they did not invest did not actually move in Charlottesville was because the protest the quote unquote protesters the the, the 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 militia and the and the Nazis, which I cannot believe is a sentence I'm saying um, all were, had assault were, rifles were, were, had, had, were better armed one of the reasons why the police decided, stated that they were not moving was because they, of the weapons that were on being carried by the by the by the militia and and still they no one no one no one died except for the fact that a Nazi committed a terrorist attack, um, and and no one was you know and there and, and there's no police skirmishes there was not a there was that that, that the skirmishes were between individuals there was no police reaction uh, or at least limited uh, to the very limited compared to what we've seen in other places, and and still these are armed organizations, and then you use this article that came out recently uh, in the Grist. Uh, about how the what the reaction was uh, to the uh, the DAPL protesters, and and more scarily actually, and this is part of, this is this is something that I haven't fully processed and don't exactly know how to fully speak about um, or fully understand exactly where this place is in my mind. But keep in mind that this is not all. What happened here is a paramilitary security tracked and targeted uh, DAPL opponents uh, and. And labeled them as "quote unquote" jihadists in their documents. Now you know you have you have you have, the, you have white nationalists actually using tactics that are consistently used by self-proclaimed jihadists, and they are the alt-right. Mm. You have peaceful protesters who happen to be b- doing something that the the state and rich corporations don't like, and they are jihadists. Right. Uh, it's it, to to not see the problem and the 
the the issues that that highlights is an intentional, obviously in my mind, uh, blinders on your eyes. Well, and I think it's worth pointing out at this point, at this juncture, Stefan, that um, you know sometimes it's what people say that matters, not necessarily who says it, and I, and other times it's who says something that matters, not necessarily what they've said. Uh, in this case, I would say it's the second uh, because it's not a random like the end is nigh, you know, guy on a street corner with his you know, pants around his ankles saying the calling these people jihadists. It is a private security firm, uh, international private security firm uh, with a former uh, like special ops guy as its uh, board chair uh, with experience fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan against actual jihadists. So when somebody whose job is to actually fight real jihadists starts calling teenagers protesting a pipeline jihadists, that is categorically a different statement and it, and i think it has a categorically different impact and we have to we have to pay attention to it differently Be, yeah, yeah exactly well first of all the fact that like so th- there's so many things about the story that are that are ridiculous and terrifying that i'm going to slowly go through a couple pieces of this uh just to get the full scope of exactly what ha- what like whenever you talk about private military already that's 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 a kind of terrifying concern you know it's why blackwater changes name to something that no one ever remembers uh as a way to avoid anyone pay, everyone anyone knowing what they who they do what they do uh because they got so much bad press for being a because private military is clearly for, a, let's be let's be clear for murdering civilians yes in other countries yeah. um so this private security company called tiger swan um and and they and they ran a intrusive military style surveillance and counter surveillance campaign against DAPL activists and allies. Um, and this is from internal company reports. So this is all this information comes from reports that they themselves generated, quote, called situational reports, as they call them. And this is not some small organization. This is you know this has ten million dollars in contracts with with the government. It has offices worldwide. Concerningly, it is not technically an American company, uh, so it is not. So the United States does not actually have laws to fully govern it because it's an overseas military contractor, um, and it's operating in the United States. It is targeting groups including indigenous demonstrators, Black Lives Matter, 350.org, Veterans for Peace, Catholic wor- the Catholic Workers Movement, Food and Water Watch, and the actress uh, Shailene Woodley. And we wonder why people feel targeted. You wonder why... Because they're targeted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, these are... You're not paranoid if they're actually after you, Stephanie. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is, this is a covert... This is an overt, att- overt attention. And, the, and there was a very interesting piece about... Uh, coming out of Charlottesville about the, uh, the chilling effect of weapons... And of how of how the the where and the ACLU, ACLU just declared that they would stop protecting uh, demonstrations with open carry with, with which guns would be involved and they partially I think because, like and I, rightly uh, because of the fact that they, you can say nothing but if you're standing across the street with an assault rifle that is you are saying something. You know, you, even you, you are you are threatening someone by your existence of being there, um, and and you don't get to decide if you are if the other person is feeling like you have an assault rifle. You're in military fatigues and you're walking around. Uh, you know, there's if you if never you, never mind the guy that was caught on tape in the Vice documentary that was released over the weekend saying if we have to effing kill these people, we will. Right. So it's not it's not an implied threat. No. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 and the, yeah. And the, some of the direct threats. Yeah. Were, were obvious. And so the fact that you have these people being followed by a military company 
being labeled as "quote unquote" jihadists in and not, and not in just in the in the in the one area of the, in the, in just North Dakota, uh, but in you know in South Dakota, Iowa, and Illinois were all the areas where the pipeline is passing through, um, and, and and the surveillance continues after the breakup of Standing Rock. So and the, this is a set of people who are all trained uh, with um, or military trained. Uh, who are following around a group of peaceful activists uh, with the idea that the peaceful activists are the real concern here. They're being paid by the uh, by the energy company. They're being paid by the Texas-based pipeline developer Energy Transfer Partners. And so this is not a, this is not the military. This, they are they are responsible. They are they are respo- They are not resp- held by government. I laws. believe the technical term, Stefan, is goons. <laughs> Well, like the goons with 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 enough surveillance technology to like to really to to really do some like to, well, and with the complicit participation of the local police forces. Well, yeah, like it's kind of like what's ridiculous here is you have the this is a company called Tiger Swan, which is a which is not banned by government laws, U.S. laws fully. Uh, it is operating on U.S. soil, being employed by a oil company, um, and. And you are well outgunning, uh, and you have examples of well outgunning where the police refuse to, to 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 engage in other with other militia because they are because they are because they don't have the the capabilities. And we when we talk about this sort of you hear this happening a lot of other places like you know you, this this is very common actually and as we've, we've previously mentioned uh, one of the major critiques with mining companies in South America is this basic exact thing you know you hire private military confirms they are they are not well regulated by the state and they have control over what they can do um, and so this is a central problem that like if the United States wants to maintain its thin facade as a democracy that is getting thinner with every statement Donald Trump makes. Uh, you have to you have to realize the problem of giving up the, the the power of force to anyone who decides they want to carry out an assault rifle. Uh, whether it's people marching through through Charlottesville or it's it's the private military for, uh, a firm following around peaceful protesters throughout states. It's just this is if if you want to if if you want the world or you want there's an article that I'm hoping to get to later about about the the about millennials and whether millennials are at, are, are are sort of have you know moved beyond are are a little more wel- likely to welcome to sort of a a deeper cut to the system to figure out actually where where the real problems lie um and I hope we can get there but it's if you want to understand why that sentiment is existing, why the sentiment that you know, why sentiment that someone like Jeremy Corbyn is 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 landing, it is because people see these ties and see all these little pieces of it and realize that this is there's not a utopian future out there in which a majority of security forces are done, are, are run by private firms being employed by major companies. That is not a part of anyone's death, any, well, any sane person's hope for the future. You know, that's part of, that's, that's, that's the, those are the people, the X-Men are fighting after the world ends, you know, like that's, that is what, that is where this, this thing is going. And, and so to not sort of notice the the deep fault lines that are being that are that are that are exposed by when things like uh, you know like in Charlottesville happen, um, or when uh, when this is an article that only gets covered by Grist, like Grist 
I love Grist, but they are a they are an environmental news site. There's you know this is not a thing in which you know I will accept that there's a lot else going on this week, um, and so it's it's hard to fully expect uh, you know this to be make national coverage right now. But if American citizens, peaceful American citizens, are being labeled as jihadists by a private military company because they don't like that they are standing up against uh, against an oil pipeline. Maybe you should consider what that says about the society you're living in. And maybe you should consider what, how we should start working to make that maybe less of a thing. Uh, we've got about three minutes left in this section, Stefan, and, and I have a comment that I think fills in here really uh, well. So if you if you don't mind, I'll, I'll close out the section here, and then we'll, we'll come back. We're going to keep going uh, roughly with this topic. We have some more stories that I think continue to highlight this. But one of the things that I was thinking about a lot um, – so I, I try and consume as wide a range of news as possible, so I listen to a wide variety of independent sources. But I also I also watch like MSNBC and, and whatever on YouTube, right? So I try, and, I try and stay up to date with what the mainstream is saying and check that against the independent media and then try and sort of compare the two with my own knowledge and, and that's sort of where my opinions come from if you ever wanted to know what the black box looks like that's mm-hmm. that you know i check those two sources i check it against my own knowledge and then i try and i try and figure out what i think the most accurate thing probably is and one of the things i was watching is mika brzezinski and joe scarborough were talking about uh the other day uh yesterday uh on, on msnbc on morning joe they're talking about wow would you ever believe amika was like sounding so um like you know hair blown back but wow, would you ever think that it, you know, that would be we'd be up here on TV, you know, saying that corporations were doing the right thing by pulling out of this uh, economic council that Trump organized? And I was like, first of all, I was like, you are, so, you guys are. This is why nobody likes you anymore. You're so <laughs> naive. They're not doing it because they're doing the right thing. They're doing it because they know their customers are gonna are gonna not do business with them because of it. It's a financial decision. Stop pretending like they're moral actors. They're not. They're machines designed and, and with the single purpose of maximizing profit. And if they know most people in the United States are going to hate this, they're going to do it. It Stop giving them credit. There's no credit involved here at all. It's a math. They did a math calculation and they think well, this will lose us money if we, do, if we don't change, if we don't do something. That's it. The second point is that um, as we're – and this I think we'll have to carry this into the next one here. Uh, but – the connection here, because the, there wasn't a super tight sort of coordination between the, the first two things we talked about in the first section. So I'll, let me do this to sort of wrap it together here, um, is that what we have to understand is that most of these corporations, their actions are super racist, right? Pipelines don't go through rich communities. Pipelines go through poor communities. Pipelines go through communities where they can't defend themselves. Pipelines go through First Nations communities. They go through uh, uh, predominantly immigrant and people, uh, persons of color communities. Why? Because they can get away with it. Right. So these companies are acting on a large scale racist form every day. There was the hilarious story. I remember we covered this like three years ago uh, of the CEO. I believe it was actually of a coal company, but he had some like Palm Beach, Florida resort. And he was suing uh, or something to get an injunction to stop a uh, pipeline from going within two kilometers of his, of his property because it might affect his property value. And his company literally builds other pipelines and he was suing another company for building it near his house. Right. So this is not let's not pretend that this is anything but just racism and of another form. So I have a really hard time. Excuse me, corporate America. I have a really hard time giving a rat's bum uh, what you say about, you know, Donald Trump's economic council, because you know what? Nazis are despicable. Um, and Nazis killed somebody this weekend. And I'm not I'm not trying to create some equivalency here. But let's not forget that racist policies and racist business people making racist business decisions kill thousands of people every year because of their products and and the way that they go about doing their businesses. So let's not get, let's not stand back and go, oh, thank you for for condemning Donald Trump. Well, you you are putting pipelines and poisoning and giving cancer to First Nations communities and people of color all over the country every single freaking day. 
right? You're killing thousands of people, so spare me, right? Uh, so that's the, I just wanted to get that out, and and I think that that closes the loop on sort of where those two things were headed towards. So we have more on this topic when we come back. There's some more news stories, uh, and also, Stefan, I want to point out uh, due to uh, a number of recent pieces of listener feedback, you're doing an excellent job of speaking at a reasonable speed today. Nice. So let's keep that up uh, when we come back from the music break. Stephen, what are oh sorry, somebody changed seats when I looked over there. Stephen's in the studio, but Megan's at the board. Megan, what are we going to listen to? All right, we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority today. Uh, I'm your host, Aaron Kaster, Stefan Hostetter here in the studio, and we are talking about boah, racism, basically. <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, it's, it's taking, uh, taking a particularly uh, racism lens to a number of topics that we regularly talk about. We, of course, try and mention the stuff as we go through it, uh, but I don't, uh, I would feel wrong not putting a hyper exclamation point on it this week. Uh, in light of current events, uh, so if you're just tuning in, that's what we're that's what we're up to right now. Uh, I just finished accusing corporate America of being complicit and uh, morally equivalent in some action way to some pretty terrible people. So bet we'll get some phone calls about that, but I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that's pretty hard to argue against. Oh, um, so, so I think the what's interesting about that in in what one of the more interesting comments I saw about after the uh, after the. After the so after, during a bunch of the so Republican senators condemning uh, the action in Charlottesville, and then also uh, also Trump's sort of in refusal to to really to really call it out um, was the fact that there's the, there's the there's the overt people waving swastikas in the middle of a town square, uh, which is perhaps the most obvious display. Of racism, uh, or at least of of, of a attempted white supremacy uh, takeover, as you can get. Right. That's basically that's 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 you know that's pretty high up there at least. And 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 this person was sort of slowly going through and calling out the different senators. Every time a senator, a Republican senator, sort of would tweet out a thing, be like, "Oh, this is bad." They would sort of follow up with four or five or six different sort of ways that they were they were enabling this. Uh, you know, it's like, hey, if you want to do this, then you. Then you better start voting for uh, for voting rights because those that has been proven to massively disrespect, massively disenfranchise, uh, you know, specifically poor black populations. Uh, you better you, you better stop trying to you know re- fight back against affirmative action, which is your which which is currently still happening in in, in both from the Department of Justice and uh, through all these other ways. Um, and they would sort of go piece by piece by piece. They sort of display exactly all the different ways that they had led to enable this. You know, there's a reason why David Duke said that this was a fulfillment of uh, of Donald Trump's promises because it is, uh, you know, and and so and so I'm going to highlight two more stories that sort of continue on this sort of trend. Uh, and specifically, some of you may remember uh, Hurricane Katrina. I presume actually most of you remember Hurricane Katrina and uh, and the absolute uh, a destruction that it caused on uh, on New Orleans, uh, but also the reaction, uh, the poor reaction of the Bush government uh, to to help the people. Uh, of New Orleans in Louisiana, uh, and and you may even remember Kanye West dr- straight up saying that George Bush didn't care about black people, and that was why they weren't doing this. And people were shocked. Yes, uh, <gasps> people exactly. People were very surprised. There's uh, racism. Yes, uh, and and what's interesting is leading to that there is uh, so guess what New Orleans still not safe, still not enough. Still, we still not, New Orleans is currently currently flooded. And worse, worse than that, New Orleans is at risk for further floods because there's a fire that's cut out power to the pumps. 
Uh, and so this is a, the city is still dealing with heavy rainfalls uh, on the 5th that caused flooding, which is a part of an ongoing refusal to fully uh, – f- Louisiana is a, is a very problematic state in many ways. Uh, and, the, and, and, and part of, its, part of its failure here is that it is not pr- protecting New Orleans or reacting to climate change enough at all. Uh, and so it is, a, it, is a, it is a state that in which that if you are, you are poor, you are really not well protected. Uh, and and so, so just so, so first of all, like this, right now, New Orleans is currently dealing with with, with heavy rainfall. It, it's it's been, there's a bunch of flooding. There was a fire at a power station that that runs the city's flood control water pumps, puts the city at risk. So the pumps are now out to protect uh, New Orleans. Most of the city's schools of, uh, are closed to brace for potentially crippling floods. Uh, some of the some of the areas uh, for this are most flooding since Katrina, and so this is like. Still, some serious flooding. Fourteen of the city's 121 pumps are down uh, on the on the fifth. Uh, but uh, sewage and water board staff insisted that all pumps are working, despite the fact that you know not all of them are working. And 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 and, 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 and so this is like this is one se- this is one moment in time, and it is uh, uh, and after and, and so what's what was kind of mind blowing about this is with all of this happening, with all of these things going on. Donald Trump shows up and is like, you know what is, you know what's, you know what Louisiana needs and, and people sort of trying to, t- us trying to protect ourselves need? Making America great again hats? Yes. Uh, and specifically what they don't need is, uh, they don't think sea level rise is important uh, to U.S. United States infrastructure. Uh, and so Trump is going to sign an executive order, uh, or actually now has signed an executive order two a couple days ago, uh, that rescinds the Obama order requiring government agencies uh, requiring government agencies to take into account future sea level rise when building federal infrastructure. This is like, and these are things like sea level walls. So this is, this is Trump being like, I am so convinced that climate change doesn't exist, that we should not take into account sea level rise as when we are building walls to protect us from the sea. If that is not the most uh, overt decision to harm a, a vulnerable populace, for absolutely for like for no reason except perhaps to make a political point that you really don't believe in climate change or to uh, to continue his attempts to undo absolutely every single thing that Obama has done. Yeah, can I jump in for a second? So yeah, I think it's that. I think it's I think it's partially the fact that there is a good argument to be made, and and I don't have time to get into the evidence now. But but better journalists than I, i.e., actual paid journalists, uh, have have done this homework, and that there is a credible case to make that essentially Donald Trump ran for president just because he wanted to try and embarrass and and tear down Obama's legacy. Um, if you've not heard any of this from information, that's going to sound like a wild claim. Uh, if you're interested, look it up. I, I don't have time to get into it now, but the the other thing is that you know people go well like oh well he's an idiot he is an idiot <laughs> that's true but this is not idiocy this is racism um, he he knows that or he at least is confident based on prior experience he has a reason to be confident that uh, this is sort of like a cartoonish exaggeration of what we already experience in politics from the right wing generally speaking which is uh, I can screw over a small population of people in the short term to make it look on paper like I'm doing good things for everybody in the short term and then to hell with what happens. I don't care. I don't care what happens to them later because this is going to be politically expedient for me now. And that's the racism. It's not stupidity. It's racism. It's, it's also it – what's, what's interesting about some of – But he's these, still stupid. <laughs> uh, what's interesting about some of these things is that when you're looking here at the, 
uh, we've gone back to the fourth, fourth and I, I think eventually, I, I'm kind of curious to see when eventually this comes to a head, um, which is specifically the tension between the Republican uh, – Republicans generally, really, all of them, uh, and their affinity towards uh, the military, and their affinity and their belief that the military should be uh, should be should get to decide. Well, with Trump, basically everything. He's slowly adding a general into every single position he has, um, and and all of that sort of perceived. You know, we need to keep giving them money. We can never. You know, half our budget must continue to go to the military, despite that's massively overspending, and we should. We have no money for anything else. But whatever, we must keep doing this, and. The mili- and the military is sort of turning around and being like, you know what we want you to do? Deal with climate change. <laughs> hey, climate change matters. You know, like the Pentagon has created report after report after report detailing the massive problems that climate change will cause. One in the sea level rise uh, story, one of the cons- one of the reasons why there might be pushback is that the Navy, who has facilitate facilities, already have a problem with sea level rise, and they're concerned that 128 military bases could submerge by 2010, by t- sorry 2100, if we don't act on it. And so this is the military turning around and being like, if you want, like, you're, you're, you can say that you support, like, I, like, I don't understand how often Republicans can constantly say they support and believe the military in all things, except for the thing that the military has actively stated is the number one threat to United States. And it, it, it it's at some point, I just, I, 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 I wonder if it's not, I understand how like the military culture does not do this, but at some point, how does the military not start making noise or, or, or how does the military just not start not, not actually just doing something about it? Like if the United States military just turns around right now and is like, okay, instead of investing in yet another, you know, soldier, we're going to start putting like solar panels somewhere because that's actually the most way, the, the, our biggest chance to destabilize the, uh, to stabilize things. In a, in a power, in a power and fuel struggle, you know, starved world or where there's supply line issues like with what's going on in Venezuela. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter how many tanks you have if you don't have any gasoline, right? So that we talked about this f- almost five years ago about, uh, it was, we were sort of joking about it at the time, but this like things like solar powered tanks. Now they're going to be tanks with like solar panels on the top, but yeah, the, the military has the biggest reason to, to not play around <laughs> with this sort of thing. And like, and like far yeah. be it for me to, to, I certainly do not think that we should, that, that the solution here is to presume the military will save us. That is no. a very, 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 very bad idea. That is, our worst case scenario. Um, but I, we do that after we try terraforming. That's my order of preference. Ah, <laughs> oh, there we go. go like, so le- assume like, the military will save us is is after, less desirable than, than like the, shooting sulfur into the atmosphere. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the and so that's so like, but that does that is a part of. I wonder. Like, I am curious about the about if that if that tension where that tension exists and and at what point does that tension become sort of overwhelming because a part of me thinks that as more and more and more disasters hit the united states at some point the only the only part of the united states government that'll be big enough and fast enough to act on this will be the military a part of me sort of expects to see the military to end up taking more and more of these sort of uh adaptive roles within this within the country to respond to these uh, these these freak weather events because as they become more common um and so it's again not what we should be doing but it, uh, from one standpoint of if we're not putting money into, into solving it, we're not putting money into, into, into ensuring we have good systems to adapt to it, the only thing left is to throw a whole bunch of, of, of people onto the, uh, into this. Uh, and the only people you have in the states that are, that are, really, that are really super mobile and that, you, that just the United States you know, has, uh, has access to is the, is the military. And so 
at some point, I, I, I don't like unless they cha- shift course dramatically, which of course they definitely should. Please, America, shift course dramatically. It's it's something that I think we have to understand is could be coming. Um, you know, again, two one hundred and twenty eight military bases. Or the NASA basically considers that the three feet of sea level rise that would cause this is guaranteed, is inevitable. They've already given up, and yet we are. are and yet the, the United States government has decided that we should not build. We like the United States government is literally being told there will be three levels of sea level, sea level rise, and their reaction is we'll build walls two meters, two two feet higher, because we don't believe you, and that's just not going to solve the problem. It's just not a thing. Anyways, that's there's there's not there's not a ton more to that to this story except for the my, the ongoing confusion that I have about the fact that we've just sort of ex- we're just slowly accepting parts of the United States just don't get to exist anymore. You know, yeah. like I can't imagine like at some point everyone's going to leave New Orleans because 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 people because Louisiana and the United States has abandoned it. And that's and that again that this is that is a that is a primarily African American city that is a primary that is that that this is displacement in part due to racism, um, and it's just mind blowing. Anyways, yeah, inner cities are dangerous places mostly because of the impacts of climate change and trigger happy white cops, but uh, you know still dangerous. Uh, so. Uh, I, I'm going to take a moment here to throw Justin Trudeau under the bus because it's been almost 40 minutes and we have yeah we only got 35 minutes in yes. yeah uh, so l- lest we be sitting all high and mighty here in north of the border um, here's another example of you know not obvious unless you know what you're looking for uh, racism uh, so uh, Justin Trudeau uh, was over in China recently he was meeting with a uh, Chinese investor who owns something like 60 percent of Husky Energy Husky Energy of course is the company. Uh, that had the record setting. I don't know if it was like the biggest leak ever, but uh, certainly up there. Um, spill, uh, leaching, you know, thousands of liters or millions of liters of, of horrible, I don't have the numbers of the actual spill in front of me, unfortunately, uh, of just horrible toxins into local river, poisoning local communities, giving all sorts of people cancer, wiping out local habitats, the whole nine, right? And... Uh, so Trudeau was heading over to China to talk to uh, to this Chinese in- investor uh, in in uh, Hong Kong, and and uh, someone was good enough. Uh, someone over at the National Observer was good enough to file a public information request, and uh, found out the briefing notes for this meeting, which included uh, flat out lies about the impacts of the spill. Uh, now the Trudeau government claims that this never came up in the meeting, which I find a very curious thing it's like finding someone's uh you know like talking points for a speech they're going to give and there's a whole bunch of like super racist jokes in there and you're like well but i didn't say them like it's not it's not really better the point is that you thought them the point is that it ever occurred to you that this was a good idea um the so so how is this well he was saying is like well we're not really sure we think the report says that we think that maybe there's a chance that they poison themselves right so that yeah there we got you know people got poisoned downstream uh but we think there's a chance that they gave themselves cancer by pouring battery acid in their own water uh it's a complete coincidence that it completely lines up in a timeline with this massive spill just down the river um, but yeah, I'm sure it's, it's not true. Uh, and so he essentially went off to basically, you know, be like, Oh, don't never mind. It's, you know, it's totally fine. People are fine. It's not a big deal. Um, that is still racism because what he's saying is, is that, um, the people who have been impacted, which were almost exclusively from a first nations community, um, although not exclusively, but, but largely, um, 
we're the people impacted and he's basically pretending like, well, they did it to themselves. If anything happened, they did it to themselves. Uh, so let us not be fooled. Um, this is a prime minister who is concerned with optics. And he's long as he's being seen to be doing the right thing by most people most of the time, he's perfectly fine to do hideous and terrible things and say hideous and terrible things. Need I play you the clip again we played last week of how he specifically chose to uh, try and make part of his boxing bet with a uh, First Nations gentleman uh, because – and he admitted in the interview with a smile that this was because he knew that particularly for uh, this community that this would be particularly humiliating. Um, this is a really sick man uh, who has a really good marketing department. And I think we need to continue to judge people on their uh, actions and not on their PR campaigns. And I believe that we need to call racism racism when it's racism. And that's racism. Um, that's pretty much 39, Stefan. Do you have a closing thought or shall we, shall we move into the closing section? Uh, I, I just think that it's – yeah, just very quickly it's important to understand just – you know, that, that, that it's – that we here in Canada should not uh, presume that we don't have our own uh, many issues, uh, and that you know anything like the number of you know the f- like Google grassy narrows. Read anything about that, you'll you'll fully understand the scope of which our governments are continually willing to not uh, treat anyone uh, who, uh, especially indigenous populations, as if they as if their you know lives and health matter. Uh, it's you know. We, Yes, there's there's things that have, sometimes the states are more flashy, but it, the, the the problems here can be equally as insidious. Yeah, and I should say, and I don't want to get into a personal story about this, and I, I, it's, this is not even the sort of thing I'd tell you the full story on the radio, even just on the bonus show, but I will allude to the fact that because of the news, obviously a lot of people have been having a lot of conversations, and I've had uh, at least one, possibly two, uh, really disturbing conversations with other uh, white people I know. Uh, who have, you know, basically they're not, they're not sympathizing with the Nazis or anything like that, but they're pulling that other kind of racism, mm. uh, where it's like, well, but yeah, but these problems for me and well, but this and, but that it's the equivocation and, or saying that, well, yeah, but you know, but that one time black lives matter did this, that I didn't think it was really that I don't, I didn't like how they went about it and the, they never finished the sentence, but the sentence seems to be, so therefore I don't have to address or take seriously any of the complaints. Um, and that's still racism. And I'm not going to say who it was, but you know who you are. Still racism. Uh, we're going to take a break now. I like how we're doing like a super intense show in like a pretty laid back tone of voice. It's very odd. I, either this is really appropriate or really inappropriate. If it's the second, we apologize. Um, but uh, we're going to go to our second and final music break now. And then I'm going to actually come back and pick on the British for a few minutes. Uh, I'm sure I can still make something that, that point out some, some racism here, but we're going to somewhat take a break uh, because I have some pretty terrifying numbers about food waste. We'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to The Green Majority. I forgot to do my usual call out here. Um, the Green Majority is uh, on CIUT live here in Toronto, 89.5 FM, on our podcast, which can be found at greenmajority.ca. Also on our network of wonderful and extremely appreciated community radio partners uh, across Canada and now internationally as well. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. If you'd like more information about the show, uh, about Stefan, myself, any of our content, and uh, any other episodes, they're all available uh, either for download through podcast or play off the website at greenmajority.ca. Uh, with that, Megan is going to tell us what our second and final music break will be. You got me singing. 
All right, we're back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful community radio partners, and, uh, of course, on our own website and podcast, which you can check out at greenmajority.ca, uh, where we usually, but I have to apologize, I've been terrible. Uh, I've been moving and, and you know, summer things going on. Uh, and twice in a row, I've said that we were going to have a bonus show and then I never published it. We actually did record one, and we're not going to be able to record a new one today. Uh, so I will be posting the bonus show we recorded two weeks ago, uh, which has some really haunting, increasing relevance as time goes by, uh, what we talked about. Uh, we got into a little bit of sort of some commentary about uh, Antifa, the anti-fascist uh, thing. We had some comments, uh, mostly constructive, uh, just some thoughts. We think that they're appropriate. We'll be posting that on Monday. Although, and, uh, although I, should, I should put on with the, with the most recent, uh, they sort of take a, a very different air. Right. So I think our comments are remain relevant, uh, mm-hmm. but do take in mind, uh, keep in mind that they were made two weeks ago. Yes. Uh, but I'll be posting that on Monday as this week's bonus show, and then we will be back to our regular bonus show schedule shortly. Uh, so that being aside, we're now, Stephanie, we have 15 minutes left, and I would like to talk about how industrial meat production is killing our seas. All right. <laughs> Which is the title of the article. This is a report uh, posted in the opinion section of the Guardian uh, Guardian uh, uh, newspaper's uh, website. Uh, in the ocean section, uh, the title is, in fact, Industrial Meat Production is Killing Our Seas. It's Time to Change Our Diets. And uh, this is not a new conversation, but it's a bit of an update um, uh, talking about uh, record-setting increasing dead zones. Uh, There's now one which is uh, 8,700 square miles, uh, just a single dead zone. Uh, Dead zones are often created by a stock of uh, things that are used either chemicals or nutrients or veterinary drugs. Uh, to accommodate factory farming. Stefan will correct me if necessary here. He is more the expert on this topic than I. Um, but largely what happens is in the spring when the ice melts uh, over the, you know, all, the, all these chemicals, all these drugs, uh, all these heavy nitrates uh, get built up in the snow around major water bodies. And then in the spring, it, it would normally release all this built up nutrients of all this decaying plant matter and all this stuff. And you would get this flourish of activity. This is a, a, a recovering and, and uh, uh, explosion of life and, and natural activity. Um, and then right behind it comes hundreds of kilograms, millions of metric tons, who knows, of nitrates chemicals, whatnot. Uh, So in addition to the problem of essentially drowning uh, the oceans in various drugs, the nitrates mix uh, with warm, shallow waters to create a perfect environment for various forms of blue-green algae and other things, which then proceed to suck all the oxygen out of the water and kill everything below it. Uh, So this is called a dead zone. It is literally because there is nothing in it, not just no fish, nothing. Um, And this was just one area. These are, we're setting records every single year. And aside from the fact that the numbers are scary and they're always scary, there's sort of two things I wanted here. One is to carry forward to the other story that I want to sort of compare it to. The first one is to make a note on the fact that, uh, yes, we've, uh, Stefan and I have a, a fun, uh, playful, uh, bantering history with some of our vegan listeners, uh, about some of those topics. Uh, they will like my comments today, I'm sure, uh, which is that a, this is a reminder that yes, uh, eating meat is really horrible for the environment and you should eat as little of as possible. Many people who listen to the show think you should eat none. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say let's get to as little as possible, and then if we can get you to none, great. Um, I think that s- s- absolutely tiny hair sliver difference of nuance is really the only difference between us and, and about half of our listeners. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it but it should, but it cannot be taken away from, and the point cannot be reduced that uh, uh, eating meat is incredibly resource intensive. 
uh, and is incredibly bad from the environment. It destroy. It doesn't just contribute to climate change and release all sorts of methane and, and all these other things. It is also has the double whammy of um, contributing in part with more traditional, or not more traditional, but like produce-oriented factory farming uh, to literally just wipe out every and all piece of life as if it was a biological atom bomb, uh, everything within an area uh, of impact. Uh, so before I go to you really quickly, Stefan, I want to make the comparison. So the second point here is another article. Uh, this is not an opinion piece. This is from the uh, news exclusive, also from The Guardian, called Britain's Throwaway. 428 million euro uh, or pounds rather 428 million pounds worth of barbecue food in August alone half a billion dollars of meat largely gets thrown in the garbage now as we just said producing this meat in the first place is one of the most energy and resource intensive practices that there can be as far as production of nutrients uh, in fact it just is it just is the most you know depends what meat you're talking about but meat generally uh, is a massive strain on our ability to deal with climate change, is a massive uh, strain on our resources, and it's a massive and unmanageable strain on our natural environment. And then we throw half of it away. <laughs> this is where you get to jump in. Stuff. Yeah, well, uh, just the a food waste itself is a fascinating and, and difficult issue. I think there's a... There's a whole bunch of things about how we deal with food and how we understand food uh, that food is this one thing that is, often has sort of these hidden costs that we don't speak, we don't think about or, or, or don't really fully are, I- internalize. Uh, and in, in, in meat especially has a sort of additional layer. So, you know, it's very easy uh, or it's somewhat it's generally easy to ex- to believe to understand the concept that, you know, that uh Growing monocultures that are very fragile to uh, to make as much as po- much corn as possible or anything as possible use corn as an example uh, as possible uh, makes it much more susceptible to climate change. So you are creating something that is much more susceptible to climate change, uh, and that could, and that is problematic if we want to keep eating corn uh, as as the earthworms. Uh, then, if you understand and you take the concept of okay. And also corn as a product is actually, generally speaking, one of the less friendly things to actually grow. And so you're actually creating, you're, you're creating more carbon to even do this uh, to get any corn at all. You're then being like, okay, government, uh, we are going to set up a system in which we will massively subsidize co- producing corn. Uh, did you say subsidize? I did say subsidize. Huh. Uh, we are going to we are going to guarantee that corn uh, farmers get a certain price on corn, uh, which doesn't uh, which is what, what the United States currently does, uh, and a whole bunch of money uh, goes into it goes into that. And you'd think of and it's always pitched as giving money to the corn industry, right? Because you're you are directly giving money to the corn industry, but in reality, what you're doing is is allowing the corn industry to sell the corn at whatever they can get, which is which is you know cents cents on the amount of money they, they get. Like I think they're guaranteed a price, and they sell it for like maybe like one fifth of the price often, like dramatically, dramatically less. And so, and they can do that because they're guaranteed this other price. So they don't change their methods. They don't they don't switch up. They don't start growing other plants. They don't do anything. They they keep doing exactly what they're doing because they have a guaranteed revenue income because the government is subsidizing them. They then take that corn and they sell it at a pittance. And so the money that they're sort of the, – the, 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 while the subsidy comes to the corn, the corn industry, in reality, where the, who's actually getting the, the cheapness or the, getting, the, getting the deal here are who buys the corn. Mm. So who buys the corn? Uh, Pepsi? Coke? All of the uh, all of the artificial sweeteners, uh, glucose, fructose is is just is is percent is is really just corn syrup or, or created from corn in some way, uh, and animal feed. Uh, so you know the, the 
a vast percentage of the these 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 you know these cows and pigs in factory farms are eating some at least in, are eating something that's incur- that that corn has been added to. Now, Stefan, I am shocked. I thought that corn was just one of the most popular foods in the United States. It sounds like you're telling me that this is a secret double subsidy to large corporations. Well, it's, it's, it's really a single subsidy. It's just, it's just, it's just factored through a bunch of farmers who are... But it is in, a, as in you a, give it to like corn agribusiness and then you're actually also subsidizing Pepsi-Cola. Right. That's sort that's of what I right. mean. Um, and, 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 and so you get, so you get to that point. Uh, and then so now you have a whole bunch of, 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 of cheap, cheap, cheap corn products. Be, being, oh, again, that then makes the meat so cheap. Uh, because you, you because you are able to have a whole you know a whole set of people a whole set of factory farms eating incredibly cheap feed, which then decreases the cost of uh, a it allows you to have more animals, so it increases this, the size of which you can have your, your, these farms, and then de- and then de- and also makes the cost of this meat much cheaper, much cheaper, which impacts the actual ability to buy. Uh, say more sustainably, um, sustainably running again. Our vegan friends would not like the concept of more sustainable meat, but there's certainly factors of sustainability within meat, and so you know there's a. Uh, I, for instance, am a proponent of at least looking into growing test tube meat. Right there, you go. Uh, I'm not saying we should do it. Right, I'm just saying we should look into it. Right, um, and so and so at this point, so now we've now now we've allowed this meat to be so much cheaper that it is now being bought, uh, and it can be bought in a way that's sort of like sort of just flippantly. Uh, and so it's flippantly bought. Uh, you have a whole bunch of, you know, you buy enough plus extra for everything you do because it's so cheap. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to respect it. We stop respecting the food we're eating because it's so cheap. And then we throw it out and, and waste it. And so every single part of the food system is, is, is in some ways in like in this, in, in, in like not is built to do exactly is, is, is built in to do what is arguably the worst possible outcome, which is to maximize the creation of things uh, and, of, of creation of, of, of and often the things that are the most environment degrading. So, you know, monocultures, specifically corn heavy uh, and then and then and then meat products and then do that in a way that makes it so cheap that they are then not respected, used and then they are then they're wasted. And so there's. It's when we talk about sort of this concept. I'm actually I'm going to use this to segue into the the last story I was hoping to get to. Mm. Um, And we talk about when so when you talk about this kind of thing or or you know any of the examples we use today or any of the sort of the things we end up talking on the show, it is fully understandable why young people see the world today and respond being like, no, yeah, this is a bad idea. This is just not like, and, and, and I'm sure I'm sure it must be as as, as someone you know as I'm sure there are people who have experienced the, their life from the, they you know they were born in the 40s and 50s, lived up through the 70s and 80s, and are now, and they look around, they're like, it, the air is so much cleaner. I obviously that's fine. You know, I don't see any pollution. I think we're the environment's great. Uh, and, and the system slowly built up stuff. You know, they saw the Clean Water and Clean Air Act had passed. They've seen all these things that, that make sense that they're building up towards the normal system. That seems like that's this, all of this piece that seems to make sense, right? Except you get to a point in which you're like, then you look sort of a little beyond that, and you're like, no, no, we've created these systems that really don't make sense. So it's not surprising that 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 you know so there's an article in the Guardian uh it's called Radical Millennials are are a climate force to be reckoned with. Uh and it's and it's about this this concept that environmentalists and uh and young people generally are seeing the world that we live in today s- following these sort of lines of thought and realizing that it just doesn't make any sense. 
and that a a true and that a reaction to this has to have has to has to has to be made. Someone has to sort of turn around um, and, and and respond to what is currently happening. You know, uh, like, and so. And so, so there's, it's an interesting article, sort of example of a whole bunch of different things of, of, of like, uh, you know, of, of as, you know, how much Jeremy Corbyn was able to get 72 percent of 18 to 24 year olds who went out to vote uh, in, in, in a climate that was very hostile to him and remains very hostile to him. And, 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 and what his what his message is, is 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 really resounding on is this concept of, hey, we're not doing this well. Like we've these systems aren't working for us and won't work in the future. So we need to do something about it. Um, and, and, and so the question is like, there's this people that it's a growing movement of, of young people and all the time you talk about this growing movement, young people, young, young people as activists is sort of a trope within society. Hmm. Uh, but I think there's a question, real question of, of, of can these people who are really actually seeing these full, full systems and, and realizing that they are not built out in a way that makes that makes sense. Like it, that seems like like that seems like kind of like dismissive, but and, and and there's certainly reasons. You know, there's reasons and arguments you can make for as to why you might you might want to switch it. But like as a very quick thought experiment, imagine if instead of these monoculture fields, you had diverse crop rotation, which would which would suck in more CO two, um, and um, and ensure that uh, and 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 keep the soil healthier. Uh, you wouldn't need nearly as much nitrogen to to, 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 to keep these things alive. You wouldn't need you wouldn't need to have that whole system set up. Uh, some of the stuff some of the stuff could go to animal feed, but it would reduce that would reduce the cost of all these other sort of plant based a more plant based diet, which is important. Uh, some of the some of them could still go to, to could still go and help you know feed uh, cattle and pigs if you want to keep some sort of uh, dairy meat industry alive, and and but that would raise the price of dairy meat, and slowly but surely people's Buying habits would shift to what is uh, if the most affordable way to get to get a full balanced meal, and and you'll get healthier humans, you'll get healthier setup, and it just takes these sort of it just takes these sort of small changes, uh, which will create these massive changes, right? This this it's it's small little pieces that have all built up a a crumbling system, um, and so we, we have, that's where we're sort of standing now, um, yeah, and so I just don't. And so, like that's what that's the question I have is 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 like here are all these little pieces that we have, and 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 if all these things happen and suddenly you have a little more expensive food, okay, there's a, that causes a problem. You know, you have to ensure that everyone has enough food, uh, and there should be ways to figure that out, and ways in the you know you, there's, let's invest in community gardens, let's invest in ways to actually ensure people who are who who need this food are finding ways to or finding ways to sort of support themselves, uh, but also it means that you know less people are buying meat. And that's also good for good, good. Like it's it, it's one of those things where, because each part of the system ends up being broken in a way that sort of creates more and more carbon and more and more other not issues. If you sort of solve one of the issues, it can have the opposite cascading effect back up, uh, which which would be you know which would be lovely. What a lovely world we could live in. What a nice place to finish. Thank you, Stefan. We are uh, unfortunately more or less out of time. Um, I would like to thank everyone for listening this week. You can check out more information, as I said, on the Green Majority. Uh, just because I want to be super hyper aware of the fact that we're aware of the fact that two uh, white people just spent 40 minutes talking about racism. <laughs> uh, if you have any thoughts on this topic, uh, particularly if you think we got something wrong, uh, the answer are pretty much 100% of emails we ever get. But uh, I want to explicitly say that uh, if you have any thoughts about that, especially if you think we got something wrong, please do email us at greenmajority.ca. We will absolutely, uh, at the bare minimum, read your email. 
Uh, and with that, thank you very much to our listeners. Thank you very much to CIUT and all our partners. You've uh, listened to The Green Majority this week. We hope you tune back in next week and every week uh, here at CIUT and elsewhere. Take care. <laughs>